know how to do it. Here, all is well with you. Mom, don't read it yet. Stop. <laughs> Stories that need to be told in the nighttime. Yo, Mike Young. Stories that need to be told. I'm home. I'm in my living room in Detroit. My mom is here. My brother's here. That's my brother. My mom just told my brother to shut the fuck up. And this is what family is. We're home. I'm doing punchline this week. Me and Tony Rock. We're playing Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I landed about an hour and a half ago. My brother scooped me up at the airport, put me in the car, took me to the deli, told me I need to focus more on my act and I should listen to Thelonious Monk so that I can get the rhythm of jazz. What my brother has no idea about is that I listen to jazz all the time in the background. When I write, I put on Miles Davis. I put on Coltrane, Love Supreme. I put on jazz all the time. Really? Yeah. It sounds like you listen to a lot of Devo. Well, I don't know what that means, but I don't know. Uh, Devo. Right we just anyway i'm home we're doing shows wednesday thursday and friday my birthday is this weekend i didn't want to do anything big for my birthday but i was just not don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) now you see where i get the quick wit from um am i not i'm not i'm not doing anything for my birthday no we're not nothing no i'm basically home doing nothing for my birthday but I just wanted to be home for my birthday. I'm just glad to be home. And ironically enough, it worked out that Tony had these gigs at the Punchline in Southfield where we grew up. And he, before I even knew it, he had asked me to come home. And it turned out it was my birthday weekend. First of all, so, we're doing a ton of stuff for your birthday. You got three shows this week. Is that what you're doing for my birthday? <laughs> yes. But I mean, don't say we're not doing anything for your birthday because whatever it is that we're doing... On your birthday is something that's going to be done on your birthday. That's not going to be nothing. No, I wasn't saying it like that. I was. I, what I'm saying is... What? I was going to read this email about Robert, but I'm not going to. No, read it, Ma. <laughs> Ma, Ma, right, uh, Ma, can you move closer? Ma, come over here in this chair. Ma, come in this chair. I'm serious. There goes your cane. <laughs> come in this chair. Cane drop. Some people drop the mic. We drop the cane. But my brother's company and my cousin's company, Blue Team Restoration, does a lot of work all over the country. But my mom received an email, very something very nice about my brother and the way he handles business and the Blue Team team. And so she's going to read it. Do you have it pulled up? Yeah. Right here in my face. You ready? Yeah. All right, read it. This is about my brother. I'm ready to tell you that your son Robert is a wonderful guy. I'm sure you know that, but moms always like to hear that. He was very helpful when I asked for a recommendation for my neighbor who has a mold problem. (laughs) Called me. A mold? A mold. Mold. M-O-L-D. Okay. (laughs) He called me right back and shared his friend's name. What a mensch. What a mensch. Hold on. Is that it? Did she go on? There's no postscript on that? Just a solid compliment. That's solid, man. That's how my brother does it. That's how he does it. He he just gets right in your face when you're when you're working. He will pummel you with hat with cheerfulness and just hold on to you tightly with warmth and a ton of words that go back to back to back to back and make you feel good about what just happened at your house, whether it's burning down, flooding, mold. Oh, hold is it? On a second. 
We don't do residential single-family home stuff. So quit talking about houses. If your mall happens yeah. to have mold, and so if there's a giant flood in a stadium or an arena, if the Q Arena in Cleveland has a flood, or the casino in Cleveland, Rock Casino, what's it called? Jack. Jack Casino, God forbid, has a flood. My brother will get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he will be woken up to a panicked person because there will be a flood happening at a casino in Cleveland. He will then make a phone call to his people in Cleveland, and then they will send a troop out to start cleaning up, taking care of business, so that the continuation of business can keep happening. But that being said, I'm home. It's good to be home. But every time I come home, my brother's got another criticism. Even though he wasn't in Phoenix just now where I just was, me and Saget just did six shows in Phoenix. We did four together. I headlined two days on my own, and I got to just break through all kinds of new material, which I love doing, and it felt great to do. And as soon as I brought <laughs> he's chomping at the bit right now because what I was saying is I actually brought my notebook on stage. And, you know, like I said, I don't make excuses but I was on a super path of every night doing comedy. That was it. That was it. That was it. Got started doing movie stuff. And it took me out of the comedy game. Not, not out of doing comedy, but out of having the brain. I did not. Some people do. I did not have the full brain power to continue. When I was directing the movie, I couldn't get on stage. All right, period. End of story. I was exhausted. I was in bed at 8.30 at night. I could not do one thing. I took some time away from stand-up. Never really time away, but just got out of my rhythm. So now I'm back doing it hardcore, and I told my brother in the car today, my birthday's coming up, and what I want to do is I want to get all this shit off my plate that I've been doing, like some whatever scripts I'm working on, movie, a book, whatever it is, I want to get back into focusing tons of energy on my stand-up. Because it's right what a... Now. Yo. Here we go. First of all... Hold it near your mouth. First of all, you know what that is. First of all, you literally just double talked like you were in high school and you got caught with something because you basically just said that you were doing stand up comedy and then you got into doing movies and then you kind of lost your something or other. Well, how do you do that when you're making movies that were comedies? Oh, obviously, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because what I'm talking about is I, I stopped getting on stage. I stopped getting on stage and doing stand-up while I was making movies or whatever. I didn't have the energy to put on to, the, to do a show at night after directing. Let me see you try to direct and have 100 people on a set and make a 1,000 decisions from 6 o'clock in the morning to the end. See how your creativity lasts. It's 8 o'clock at night. No, you'll be in bed with a bowl of ice cream. All right, listen. I'll do a puppet show right now. Second of all, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You did a movie called A Stand-Up Guy. Your movie was called A Stand-Up Guy, and everybody in the movie was doing stand-up. What's your point? The point is, is what what did you... I'm talking about my... I'm talking for myself. I'm saying I want to get back into every single night getting on stage doing stand-up again. A rhythm, a rhythm. I wasn't in that rhythm doing that. I was doing it on the weekend, on a Friday, maybe. I'm saying to be a good, uh, to be a great stand-up, you gotta do five shows a week. There's no doubt about it. There's no yo. Period. At least, at least they need to bring back the four o'clock in the morning show. 
So you can do the the breakfast specials. I'm saying you can't be great without doing it every night. Of course. And I wasn't doing it every night. And I got stagnant. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just my whole point is for my birthday, I want myself to crack through, break through, take my live show to the next level and do everything I want to do in it with my music stuff, my young mic stuff, the single mic stuff. Just kill it on stage. I want to kill it. I want yeah, to be a top dog comedian. You're going to. Yeah. You are. You're there because you're, you're believing it now and you're, you're living it now because you're putting all that new stuff out there. I can't wait to see your shows this week. Because you're going to be opening up for our brother, Tony. Tony Rock, brother from another mother. He is coming Tony to Rock town. And I, I'm writing something for Tony and I. It's going, to be, oh, it's going to be dope. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I can't wait. And the best part is, is that he's... What's kind of nice and takes the pressure off of you is that you get to open yeah. for him and do... Hold on a second. I'm sorry. What's up, She's Mom? She's yelling at me. She said... Why? She was yelling at me about something. What's up, Mom? Go ahead. Ma, speak. Not that I scratched my nose. She thought I was my mom's my pointing. Nose. Oh, Mike! Mike's picking his nose. <laughs> Meanwhile, we don't want to tell you everything that's going on here, but there's a lot going on here beyond picking noses. A lot going on. There's a lot going on. We'll just say that. Yeah. Um, so my mom, me, and Mike are sitting here. Anyway, Tony's coming to town. It's going to be great. Family reunion of sorts. And what's what I was going to say was it's because Tony was on the Young American Comedy Tour that my brother produced. Robert, who's holding the mic. Right. It's kind of hard to tell. Rob that. was the producer of the Young American Comedy Tour. It was the hottest tour on a, on, a, on, a, on a medium level that could have gone ballistic, but everybody started going their own way. But Tony Rock was one of the original Young American Comedy Tour members. And one of the greatest shows we ever had was at the Royal Oak Music Theater. It was me. Who was it? Tony Rock. Bobby Lee. Was Bobby at that show? No. no. It was Sebastian. Sebastian. Brett, Brett Ernst, Brett Ernst, and Steve Byrne, and Steve Byrne, yep, and Tony, Brett, Leo. Sebastian, Steve Byrne, Tony Rock, Mike Young, yep, produced by Robert Young, and it was, that was the next level show. I mean, we packed Royal Oak Music yeah, Theater Sebastian, before anybody was large right, doing anything, right. and we all came out on stage at the end, and Tony somehow had stolen a bike in the back and was riding a ten speed on the stage, and we were dancing, going crazy. Right. That, that might have been the most fun. That was. We recorded that show, didn't we? Yeah, but nobody knows where anything is, and I can't be. I can't be responsible. Uh, Go ahead. I don't know where that is. It's got to be out there somewhere. But my point was uh, earlier, and thank you by the way. It was great. Those are some of the best. Going to rehearsals you with know, you once guys. Once in a while, you'd be drinking at the show, and then I couldn't deal with that. What do you mean drinking? You drink pre-show. I'd get upset. I wasn't drinking pre-show. Yeah. 100% you tried pre-show. Maybe at Alvin's at a smaller venue. No, it was at Alvin's. Um, Maybe when I was doing Second City. Somewhere. No, somewhere. you're talking somewhere. about yourself at Andiamo's. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Yes. No, no, I'm going to tell you something. All right, tell me something. I saw this this weekend. I was, I, was working with, I was working with Saget this weekend, and Bob busts his ass, wakes up in the morning, gets on radio in Phoenix. He's Bob Saget. He's very famous. Yet he still gets up at 6 a.m., does five radio stations. They drive him all over the town. He busts his ass to do radio, right? When we got to the club, Bob checks everything. He's looking at the website of the comedy club. The comedy club website is saying that the show sold out. But it's not sold out. But the website is saying it's sold out. So there's hundreds of people that don't think that they can get tickets. But my point is, Bob controls every. He was controlling everything. He was telling the manager what to do. He was telling the sound guy this, 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 and it's because he cares. It's the level right. of care. Right. So 
even though we were doing having fun with the Young American thing and we were having a great time, if you were drinking one night and even if I saw you and I'm, you know, I'm a controlling person. I just am. Right, Ma? Yep. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm controlling. You say that I should let things go more and off more. I should let it go. Just let it go. Is no, got, you got no place to be drinking when you're running a, a venue and a, a, a show. And my mom knows that because her father owned a bar in Detroit called the Purple Pussycat. And he never drank. He didn't drink. He ran the bar, yet he didn't drink. My whole point was, I got upset with you one night because you you were drinking. You were a little bit tipsy. And when you're running a show, I think everything needs to be 100% effort on every single level that you can. It's all got to be smooth. It's all just got to be smooth. Anyway, that was just a sidetrack note Yo, on the Young American Cover. You your worst show ever at Andiamo's, and I don't think you ever drink again. And I stood backstage with you while you were drinking. And you got up on stage and you blew a tire. I had a terrible show at Andiamo's. I even had my notes on stage. And what I'll say is I wasn't ready to do that show. I, 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 I think I was only four years into comedy at that show. Andiamo's, when the, when the fat dude opened for me? Yeah. I mean, closed? Yeah, the soap bar guy? Yeah. yeah. Fat bastard, I think is actually what they call him. Yeah. He's funny. But... I was only I was only four or five years into stand up at that time. That was way back in the day. Yeah, but you had a lot to learn too. Yeah, we're not going tit for tat, bro. I've drank a hundred times before shows and had bad shows. I've I've been sober and had bad shows. I've had bad shows. Have you, been, have you had drinks and had great shows? Yeah, I've had drinks and had unbelievable shows. But I've never gotten drunk before a show. I've had a shot. I've never been drunk. Actually, Eh, at the comedy store, I have been drunk on stage, but I've never gotten drunk and done like a real professional show. Never, ever, not once, never. Continue. Alrighty. So, mom. Yes. Do you think Mike is funny all the time? <laughs> and just because he's your favorite and he's your oldest and firstborn. He is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out. That's all right. So uh, I'm not funny all the time. Nobody's funny all the time. Hold on, Mike. This isn't your show right now. About? This is mom's. Yeah, I'm is talking about Mike. Funny all the time on, on stage. stage. Yes. Do you find him to be entertaining on stage all the time and keep your interest without rolling your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. She wants to say no, but she doesn't. No, she can't say no. I've never. Don't no. worry about hurting his feelings. Say it. No, but the point is... Say what is, you say to me in private. It doesn't matter, bro. I, we're family. You can't entertain your fan. Do you know that every comedian, they none of them want their family at a right. show? Not one. Nobody wants their family at a show. Because I don't care if you've done improv and you've done Second City classes. It isn't stand-up comedy and it's not even close to stand-up comedy. It's a different animal. Stand-up comedy is the most gangster art form. There is nobody on stage with you to play off of. Right. There's no one to fall back on. There's no music. There's no band. There's nothing. Comedians don't want their family. They don't want people they know sitting close or nearby. Right. They don't want to see anybody. I told the people this week, I said, my aunt's coming to the show. Make sure you don't sit her where I can see her. I don't want to see her. They set her right in the middle of the show. She ended up becoming part of the show. Joni. Was it the show? Oh, was she really? Saget, at, yeah, I see her. And the reason is because I'm not, I'm not unconscious on stage. I see my aunt. When you see someone that you know your whole life, 
things go in your head. You yeah. go, oh, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, we were children in Phoenix. Uncle Lenny passed away. I'm on stage in the middle of a, a bit, and I'm getting sad in my own in my own head. And you don't want to know or she, see people. It's funny because she told me she wasn't going to be there. She did? Yeah, she didn't think she would be able to come. She came. She brought friends. Oh. And it was great seeing her, by the way. And she actually was a hit in the show. Mm -hmm. Saget stopped the show. He said, who's Mike's aunt? <laughs> she raised her head. Oh, Saget goes in, in the middle of his show. Saget goes, anybody ever have a colonoscopy? Aunt Joni raises her hand <laughs> in the front row. He goes, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. Just a little polyp. <laughs> she really answers him. She's 78. She answers Saget honestly. Saget stops the show, goes, Mike, get out here. we got to talk to your aunt. Calls me out of the green room. I go back on stage. Mm. We have a full conversation with Aunt Joni and Saget and the whole packed 500-seat venue is cheering for Aunt Joni. Nice. And she, cracking up. She never nice. called me to tell me. Maybe she forgot. That's nice. Meanwhile, I could lead that into another subject matter because Joni and I had a long talk, but go ahead. You what did? You I was gonna say that you, were, you. I thought you. That was a little mean. What you said about what? About comparing stand up to uh, Second City. I know that there's That's no not mean stand up. No. I could never do improv. I don't have the improv. First muscle. of all, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't you, you took the liberty of saying that. What? You just took the liberty of saying that. I thought that was a kind of a. Yes. I don't know. Saying what? I don't know. Reverse it's a the fact. Thing. It's a fact. I know uh, that I had no, people to play off of. No, no, no. I know that it was a, I, I know that I, it was a safer place to be because I wasn't up there alone. But you just lambasted the whole improv community. No, I didn't. I, I, I respect the hell out of improv. Okay, I'm enough said. Done. Stand-up comedy said it. is a different beast. 100%. Any improv guy will tell you that. Go yeah. ask Will Ferrell. He's the king of improv. He'll tell you about stand-up comedy. Stand-up, and I'm not compare, I'm not saying I'm, it's better or worse. I'm saying you are alone. When you are alone with nothing else, you don't want to see people you know in front of you unless you're a comedian that just wants to have a conversation with your friend. Go listen to Chris Rock talk about his HBO special. What did he tell the head of HBO? I don't want to see friends, family, nowhere near the front. Right. Sebastian's people, when he goes and does Radio City Music Hall... They're where the lights are dark. You know what I mean? They go to the 50th, 40th row, uh, off to the left somewhere, where he doesn't see them. It's just, it's just a mental thing. It's just a mental thing because you're not a, it's not a play where you'll be able to just like, you're not doing a character. I know because I, when I go to one of your shows, people say to me, I, why don't you sit in the front row? I said, because I don't want to be there. I want to be in the back. Yeah. I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Exactly. I'm all the way in the back. I'm in the I'm in the back room. I can't even be yeah, you're in the, in the green room. Yeah, I'm just sitting there eating nuts and drinking your mm -hmm. water. Anyway, this is going to be a great week. Tony's coming in town. You were about to say something. We'll bring it back. You were about to say something about how cool it is that Tony is 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 here and that it's taking the pressure off me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I had to say, but you went on a ramble. It's like you just had coffee at 9:30 at night. By the way, that's exactly what happened. I had a coffee on my airplane, and it's just now kicking in. So if most, most of, I don't know who, who knows me or knows Mike out there, but our voices are similar. That's Rob talking. So this is Rob talking. But generally speaking, Mike I, and, and I have a different, I'm usually the, the one that's got rapid fire 
speech issues. You can talk speaking to issues. Tree. But right now, <laughs> but right now, I, I'm sort of like uh, befuddled. befuddled and laid back because Mike is so jazzed up right now. I'm jazzed up. Bro. He's just God. jazzed that, up. Look, they're on TV. There's Chris Rock and Sandler. You know what I mean? Yep. That's a sign. That's an omen. Yeah, that's a good omen right now. So my, what I was going to say about about uh, having Tony here, first of all... It, He's not, family. Is he staying here? It's unbelievable. No, I can't get a word in. He's got a hotel. I'm done. I can't. There's nothing I can do. Literally, there's nothing I can do. Go ahead. So Tony's probably going to stay at my mom's house this week. It's going to be old school. My mom will make a... What do you make for him? A tuna melt, Ma? He, is your, tuna fish. He says tuna, to this day it's the best sandwich he's ever best had. Best tuna fish. Um... Which is great. Anyway, so it would be great to have him here. But what I was going to say was it takes the pressure off of you because, you, you know, you're in your hometown. And generally when you come here, you're headlining somewhere or you're with, you know, in a bigger venue. And you've got, you know, a million obligations and you, you're doing radio and TV and, you know, leading up to it. And you're self-promoting it, whatever you got to do. You're doing like what Saget does when he's on the road, what any comedian does. But... It'll be nice to come home and work on your stuff and literally work on your stuff, work on all the things that, you know, you've been leading up to this, you know, put a lot of those things in the rearview mirror and really have fun with it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm excited for you, Mike. I'm, I'm excited. so excited for you. I, I have no idea how much, how <laughs> sarcastic. No, it wasn't. I'm super, I'm super excited. I, I'm always super excited. I'm super proud of the progress that you're making and I had a major breakthrough on stage in Phoenix. I started talking about dad. I started talking about just like different. I had a bunch of bits I had never talked about that were working. I talked about this thing with dating where like you never want to be the first you. You know what I mean? I said the truth. I've said this to you before, but like when I say when you're dating somebody, the real you shouldn't be there the first day. The fake you is there. You know what I mean? Like right. people say the truth will set you free. The truth will set you back. Yo, that's single Mike talking right now. What the hell is that? What are you talking about? The yeah. fake the fake you should be the first you you meet? Yeah, the fake you. Fake yeah. you. You gotta yeah. ease into the real you. Yo. I don't think so. Fake you. Fake Ma you too. Mom say mom say fake you. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> mom! <laughs> F bombing all day long. We were trying to keep it. She's got Tourette's. Mom, she's texting and driving. Text? My mom's texting and talking. You, you shouldn't texting? do that. Oh, I'm mad. I'm reading something. What are you reading? You're using anyway. Anyway, you should. You shouldn't. Uh, what were you saying about? I was breaking through new stuff. I talked about. I talked about dad being in the cash business, about how I thought we were poor growing up, and then all of a sudden I saw seventy thousand in a shoebox. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I hey, talked about some there. of that. Where? Don't even, don't even tell me that. My godfather, Uncle Itzy, used to always tell us, we got to dig up the backyard. There's got to be canisters of cash back there. But they're not. Folgers coffee cans of cash. We would have Some real Soprano-style stuff. Yeah. We would have found them by now. Uh, anyway, but seeing Aunt Joni at the show was cool. Right. I wanted to say something funny, but I didn't know if it was appropriate because she said something funny to me about another one of our relatives. That she had to write a letter for, which is oh. such a comedy act. Uh -huh. Should I talk about it? Or no. no, okay, I can't talk about it. Can't talk about okay, it. I can't talk but, about but it. But I, but you, you have a lot of humor in our. It was our, our our family's always gotten by on comedy because our. Do you think because of tragedy that there's comedy? Out of tragedy comes comedy, right? Yeah, bro. That's a that's a that's like a duh. Of course, that's where it comes from. You have to. 
Yeah, out of tragedy. Yo, I know that it's a... I said it because there's people out there that wanted to verify that they may be going through a tragedy right now and they don't know why they're laughing. And they don't know why they're getting so silly around their relatives because they might be going through something that's heavy right now and laughter is a real thing that will get you out of it. So I know it's a duh to us because we've lost and seen and done and, and we've been around it. So for us... You know, having levity in our lives is our therapy. It's our fucking medicine and a big nap during the afternoon. A lot of people out there don't realize how important that is. So when they come to your shows and they come and see you and they come see any comedy or watch a TV show and giggle after a day of, you know, going to a funeral or, or, or seeing somebody in the hospital or finding out someone's sick. And, and that's tragic to a lot of people. It's, it's stubbing their toe might be the only tragedy they've experienced up to that point in their life, all the way up until death. So those type of things are fucking tragic to people. My point is, is that comedy helps. It comedy, helps. yeah, laughter's the medicine. But our family in particular, we had a ten-year run at the first run of a funeral a year. Literally a funeral a year, no joke. I mean, it was like it was a relatives either. No, we lost all the closest people to us, very close people to us, every single year, and it is probably it has shaped us, all of us in different ways. I became a comedian, a writer, somebody who wants to just entertain and avoid. It's my my downfall is I avoid intimacy. I avoid contact at a close line. I avoid people getting very, very close to me because I'm afraid they're going to be dead and gone. That's my issue. But the positive thing I got out of it is I love comedy. I love entertaining because I know how dark and tragic life can, life can be. I became... You know what I, mean? I became... You, my brother... Mom, what did I become? <laughs> That's mom what I became. What did I... Don't fuck with me, but I'm the sweetest kid in the world. I became as you were no, but you were you were you were a tough person before any tragedy. You were a bam bam. You were the strongest kid in the neighborhood before we ever had a funeral. Yeah, but I think some of that stuff put everybody, all of us, on edge. Like enhanced our our powers to some. Yeah, no, my family is like a gang of superheroes. We've got one cousin that will you know can shoot you from a far distance with a scope, who has no fear of that. You know what I mean? Who literally, could, you know, could show, you know, if he sees a deer, God forbid, injured on a road, he'll go take care of the deer to put it out of its misery. He's got that no problem. We have another cousin who's, you know, we got superpowers all over the family. One cousin, you know, could throw a ball 90 yards and all of a sudden now he's painting like a, like a genius, like right. Picasso. But the, but the common denominator out of all the tragedy is that... Is fun. Is fun and laughter and, and living life to a degree that... that you know, it doesn't make it. It doesn't make it's it. It's irony. Is that what it is? Irony. The irony of our family. We've had the most tragedy of any family, other than like a Rwandan family that whose family was taken out in one, you know, in a war. But for the most part, I hate to say it. We I, we've had. I don't know anyone that's been through as many at least funerals as we have at a young age. At a young age. age. Yeah. But that being said, we've had the most fun with our cousins and our relatives that you can have on planet Earth. If and you, when I see, right. don't, don't interrupt me. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I see any of our cousins anywhere, it is automatic brothers and sisters and fun and love and I, hilarity. Like, it's hard to tell the difference between brothers and sisters and the cousins. 
because they're so close. Yeah. Which is a very rare thing. No doubt. In a family, period. Period. No, but it's the great thing that you did because what you did was you raised us to where and we have like 11 first cousins extended out of, and, who are, and all the ones that are close to us. There's probably like 17, 18, uh-huh. you know, with the Clarks and everybody. Right. There's 18, 19, 21 cousins involved uh-huh. in the fun. And our whole life, every weekend of our whole life was a picnic yeah. or up or you know or a birthday party right. or just a gathering or a dinner at grandma's house or a shiva house or shiva by the way some of our most fun times were during post funeral kidding me the best football uh, game like street football games we ever had were at shiva houses oh my god i was sweating and breaking out in hives after every funeral home run derby before services oh my god but it's weird because you know when you go to a funeral, you're so on edge, nervous wise, yeah. and you're so you're so like you could just crack, go either way, crying or laughing. Uh-huh. I remember it's happened twice now, two funerals. This is terrible, but at Aunt Lillian's funeral, I was so nervous sitting in the. We were just sitting there, so nervous. Me and you were sitting next to each other. One little thing happened. I don't know what it was. And I couldn't stop laughing. I just, out of nervous laughter, I just went all in laughing. And then it happened again at Skip's. At Uncle Skip's. At my Uncle Skip at Skip's funeral. The rabbi gets up, and the first thing he says is, what you know, Skip Snover was a lover of music. And one of the songs he loved was this song right here. And, and I don't know what the song was, but the like, rabbi just broke out like, like, a, like Love in the Blame, how did they behave? Well, I don't know what it was. It was like an Atra song or something. The rabbi starts singing, and I lost it right away. <laughs> and I started cracking up. But that's just out of nervousness. Yeah, I was sitting next to you, and we were both laughing so hard. Was it a John Denver song? I don't know, but we were laughing so hard. All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. No. Leave it on a jet plane? No, it wasn't that song. By the way, I remember Aunt Aunt Susie looking at us like we were crying, and she was like, oh, like how sad. Look at Michael and Robert. Like They can't handle themselves. They were really upset. (laughs) Meanwhile, we were shitting ourselves. Couldn't stop laughing. Couldn't stop laughing. Right. No. uh, Mom was like rubbing my head make sure I was all right. Um, Yeah, we've had a lot of crazy tragedy. Crazy tragedy. How do you feel about that, Ma? All the tragedy our family endured. You didn't have that as a kid. No, no. Uh-uh. We never had that. No, it didn't start till later. Way it later. Until I was an adult, really. And there's no answer. Nobody has an answer for anything in our, in my, my, our family. I mean, no the one thing talks. with all the cousins is it's different than today because all of us, we all lived in the same, you know, the same city. We all... We're close geographically. It wasn't. It's not like now. All of your cousins who are grown, only five of you live here. Right. That's true. We live yeah. so close to each other. My dad would borrow a motorcycle from the Oliphants. Uh-huh. He'd borrow Jimmy Oliphants' motorcycle, put me on the back. We'd take the motorcycle over to Skip's house. Skip would get his motorcycle, put Joey on the back, and we'd go cruising on the on the Hondas. Yeah. Did you ever go on the motorcycle, Jimmy Oliphants' motorcycle, with Dad? I don't know if I went with Dan. I remember going, maybe. I remember going on that motorcycle. I remember that motorcycle. I remember he wiped out on Red Leaf Lane on it right. when, we, when I was a little kid. Right. Yeah, he got, and, got rid of it. And his leg got all tore up. I remember that mm-hmm. as a little kid seeing that for the first time. Do you remember the miracle of my non-accident? I mean, I, I crashed one motorcycle 
behind Yellen's house right. when I got the stitches in my knee. But do you remember when I almost should have been like destroyed racing Joey and I popped off the motorcycle and I caught it somehow? Do you remember that at, at, at Shanel's or Thompson? Maybe when we were all out there. Did you have your like RM80 or your 100? KE100. Me and uh-huh. Joey were racing, whipping 70 miles an hour, coming around a turn. I'm so glad you told me now. I hit a curb. I popped off the motorcycle in the air. Somehow, I grabbed on. I grabbed on to the handlebars mm-hmm. last second and stayed on the motorcycle. And Joey saw it from from where he was. He would already beat me in the race. He was waiting for me and he watched it. It was like it wasn't my day. It was right. not my day to die on a motorcycle. It was crazy. Thanks. It was yeah. crazy. But the day I flipped, Mark Snover to this day remembers me flipping over the jump behind Yellen's house. And he said, I flipped, I flipped over because I was too soft to, to really take the jump like you're supposed to. And I started to slow down on the ramp. And I just tipped. I remember making Jeff take you to the doctor. Well, no, Jeff Yellen took me to the, took me to the doctor. He took me to Eduardo. Eduardo opened up for me on a Sunday. And I got into the, uh, that's how connected Dad was. Dad had doctors that were going to work for us on a Sunday. They just, yeah. He opened up the office. He laid me on a table. He stitched me up. Your knee. My knee. Yeah. And then I sent you over to Dr. Bloom's house to get the stitches out. Yeah. We just called doctors and whatever. That's what I miss about Detroit. I don't have that in L.A. I don't even know oh, who my yeah. doctor it's, is. It's funny. You know, you take it for granted. Everything you got here at home, you got so many connections it's ridiculous. Right. It's just ridiculous. More than connected here in Detroit. Yeah, you get things done and you don't have to say it. There's no fanfare about it either. It's just it's a phone call away. Right. Everything here is a phone call it's away. Like, I don't want to bring it up again, but like even Mrs. Maltzman called me today. And she said that, what was it? Mom, you, you, no, no, no. She talked to Mrs. Cooper. She talked to Mrs. So Mrs. Cooper said, oh, you should call Robert. This is what Mrs. Maltzman told me this afternoon. She sent me a text message, Mrs. Maltzman, and I called her. I saw the text messages, and I called her right back. Sounded like I thought it was something at her house. Who's her daughter? Michelle. Did she go to Tanuga, right? Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. It's a small community. Yeah. Anyway, so she, uh, she needed help for a guy that had helped her in her basement when she had a flood, and she wanted to return the favor. So I hooked her neighbor up with my buddy that does residential work. Which you don't do. Which I don't do anymore. But I, people know me for that in the community because that's what I did for almost 20 years. And, you know, both commercial and residential. But most people knew me, f- you know, for residential. They call me for their houses and shit. Isn't it crazy how fast time is flying? 20 years you were doing that. Yeah, bro, I've been doing this since 90. For, this is my 20, almost my 24 years. God. I started in 95. Hurricane Aaron, Hurricane Opal in the Gulf of Mexico. That's where I started. It's crazy how much stuff about that, the, how much stuff you know. It's you know crazy. what I mean? Like, I look at Rob like, what do you know? Like, what do you know? Then he gets down with his business, mm-hmm. and he just can rattle on. He knows every, you know every single thing from the, from the ground to the top, yeah. in the walls, in the toilet, yeah. on the roof. In a window. But you can't screw a light bulb in. <laughs> <laughs> my mom. mom, ladies and gentlemen. Literally can't screw a light bulb in. You can't even hang drywall. I can. I can hang it if I had to. I've seen it enough. 
I'm saying I'm you. Carried enough. My brother was he was he was just born the boss. He was just he started as the boss. Started as the boss. When I used to do her, when I first started doing hurricane work, I'd climb up on the roofs with the guys and with cap nails and do temps on all the apartment and, and condominium complexes that had roof damage. And that's when I first started getting into it. And then I went away to uh, technical school for a couple of weeks in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and learned how to estimate commercial properties. And then I got my water restoration certification, my fire restoration certification. My applied microbial remediation certification, my smoke odor removal certification, but not just like level one. I went all the way up to like level four to work just before I could probably teach the class. And I have trained in it too. But the reality is I have that stuff. And sometimes because it's been so long and now that I'm in more of an executive type of position, I don't forget it at all. It's just that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not at the grassroots level teaching it, but it's funny because that's where my heart and soul's at a lot of the times is when I can, when I'm down, like I, that's why I like going to jobs. That's why I like being on site. That's why I like when I get jazzed up when something happens and I, I'm in the vicinity. Like the other day downtown, a transformer blew in the basement of one of the high-rise buildings and it had like a blowback of you know, all this particulate between a few floors. And I was downtown when it happened. I just walked over. You know, with Darlene. Yeah. Like, I just walked over there. Like, I was there in a second. If you walk around the city of Detroit with my brother, you will not get 10 feet until somebody stops you, hugs him, talks about the city. You you should... They got to put you on a board of, like, an ambassador. There's got to be a position just for fun. Just something that they could just, just give you. you know, Nobody knows more people in Detroit than you. Uh, or no one knows the city better. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got people calling me in L.A. who meet you in Detroit and want to do things in L.A. I still got Dennis Archer, the mayor's kid, the old mayor, ex-mayor, Dennis Archer, his son, is still calling me. I'm trying to help him out. He actually has a great idea. Yeah. He has this good, and I tried to give it to Doug, you know, to put it on our table for Doug's company. But Doug's so far gone with his own stuff, he just doesn't get it. Anything Detroit-centric, anything that has to do with Detroit, you keep it in-house. And we got enough people in the city between you and me. And the people that we know downtown with Woodward Original and some of those other guys, you know, that we should just keep everything in-house, table everything, and, and you know, start putting it up on a, on a chart. And get it done. And get it done. One at a time. Just start knocking them down. Maybe do two productions at a time. And we can do that. It's, it's easier said than done, but it's actually just as easily done than said. I don't know, man. I've tried for years. I feel like to try to get downtown, make things work. I feel like there's, I feel like there's the synergies there, but it's not, it's not real like that with those guys. It's just not. I think it's, I think it's a matter of saying fuck it and putting the chips on the table for the people that have have talked about it and talked about it. I think you just gotta get those people in the room instead of sending an email here or an email there or a phone call or text here. Tell everybody this is where we're meeting on this day. You get everybody in the room. You put the screws to them, and you put you know go balls to the wall and say who's in, who's not, and here's what we're doing. But you got to have it all you know budgeted out. You got to say these are top priorities. Here's the low lying fruit. Already have distribution and people like that maybe even in the room or on a conference call from L.A. or New York or wherever you can get distribution from, along with the people that are going to help produce it or EP it. And, and have your team in place before you just say, hey, who wants to go have some fun and make a movie? Right. Have your team in place and put it together with them behind the scenes. And then you bring the big dogs to the table and you say, all right, here's what we're doing. You guys in and you're out, period. 
You know what's so funny? <clears throat> so You're in town for a week. Oh, 10 days. Yeah. Let's do it. With the movie that everybody wanted to do? The, yeah, let's do it. You got everybody's here in town. Yeah. Sweet. So we will do it. We will do it. We should even talk to Tony Rock, actually, because Chris Spencer, who writes Kevin Hart stuff and who works with Mike Epps and produces a bunch of stuff, told me straight up, he's like, you know who would love this? He read it. He goes, I love this. He goes, you know who would love this? Chris Rock. I said, I don't know Chris Rock. I know Tony Rock, uh, but what, but I wouldn't, I don't see Chris Rock starring in the movie. Uh, it's not, it's too dramatic. Like, I don't... He, I just don't see him. He's too old for the part of the lead of that movie. If Chris Rock was like, yo, I want to direct it and I got the financing, I would let Chris Rock run with it. But my point is we got Tony in town. We're here. The script is done for that movie I Killed that we're talking about. And we should do something. So you're right. Yeah, I wrote it already. It's already sitting on my desk and I just gave it to a few people just because I had to get it. I wrote it just to get it off my chest and everyone who's read it loves it to the, and like they love it and it's going to get made. We just got to figure out who's so, going to finance it so with town, us. You've been in town for three hours. Three hours. So before the end of the week, I mean, let's let's have something, you know, done. Let's, yeah. not just, let's not just sit here and go, oh, that's a great idea. Let's just say, fuck it. We got the people. We've already had sit down with some of the right people that want to be involved anyway. Let's just get more people at the table. And, and especially the behind the scenes guys. You got ADs in town. You got cinematography. You I'm got not, location I... scouts. You got, you got everybody here. You got editing. I mean, you got, you got everybody. Everybody wants to do work with us. They want to do work with you. I'm your brother, and I'm left here after you leave with everybody going, well, what's up with your brother? And then you got a million other things. Well, while you're in town, you know, put your fucking nose to the grindstone. Let's fucking focus and do this shit already. Yeah, but what's 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 the grind? What does that mean? You're gonna get them to write a check at the table? All I can do is put everybody at the table. And yeah, you want to ask somebody to write a check at the table? Yeah, why not? All it is is asking. The worst I can say is, hey, not right now, or hey, let me think about it. Let me go back to my partners. Or yeah, let me pull out my checkbook and write you a check right now and put it into the bank. What's the worst that can happen? I gotta write my goals down on a big giant whiteboard. I got too much going There's on. Whiteboards everywhere. There's tens of thousands of square feet of whiteboard everywhere around me, and you could fucking write anything you Stop want. Stop cursing. My brother's cursing a lot. You've been cursing a lot. You cursed at dinner. No, I didn't. Yeah, did you I? did. The word "fuck" is a universal word that says so much. Because <laughs> sometimes you can say, "I just, you know, fucking." Ma, you should go to bed. Seriously. Thank you very much. I'm not kidding. You, you know what I mean? You, you, you went. My mom went to her swimming class today. She tries to be a big shot and stay awake all night, and you're exhausted. Yeah, she went out three nights last. You week. went out three nights last she week. Went out over the weekend. You, you know what I mean? Her social life get has your, not slowed get down. Get your rest. That's number one. Get your rest. Your social life. I need my rest. What time is it? Yo, mom went How to long? the temple this past week. Didn't you go to the temple? Would you? Didn't you go to the Jewish Ensemble Theater? Yeah, but that's a temple that just, that just showed. It's still being surrounded. It's still exhausting. But going to a theater? Just going to a theater. I thought you went to, like, services, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Last time we were talking, White Boy Rick called. Yeah, that's right. We didn't talk to him, though, do we? Yeah, we did. You did. I didn't. But you were on the phone with him you during our podcast. All right. Yeah, I talked to him. So what you know we're trying to we're gonna we're getting this book in order in a proper way so it's like we have like a literally a seventy page proposal table of contents overview marketing like the agent who's handling it 
did all. You can do it the right way. We're doing it the right way. I burned that bridge. You burned it. Yeah. I burned a bridge. You have to say with who, but you didn't. You but you in but you built a bridge too. I built a beautiful bridge. Yeah. You you burned a wooden bridge over a fiery, you know, landscape, and now you're building a concrete bridge across beautiful water. Thanks, Rob. Oh my God. Yeah, I was doing. I was in the middle of doing the White Boy Rick book, and Tell who White Boy Rick is? White Boy Rick. I mean, if you didn't hear him on the last podcast or anything, White Boy Rick was a 14-year-old federal informant for the FBI when he was 14 years old in Detroit. He was a white kid living in a black neighborhood. He was connected to all the dope dealers, drug kingpins, gun runners. He was at a time in the 80s when the drug game was and crack epidemic was just taking over Detroit. And what happened was the feds were talking to his father, who was a gun runner, and his father, while selling guns and silencers and doing all kinds of hustles on the black market and in the underworld, they they went to question his dad. They went to question his father, and and Rick was at the at the meeting, and the feds were asking the questions. Go help mom. The feds were asking the questions, and it turned out Rick had all the answers. And so Rick starts ask, answering all the questions to the FBI. Meanwhile, the feds make him a deal. They start paying this kid. So anyway, long story short, they pay him at 14, pay him at 15. He's 15 years old. They give him a fake ID and $1,500 cash. They say, go to Vegas to the Hearns-Hagler fight. Right. Find out who the drug connect, you know, who the Detroit cocaine connect is for Miami. My, and my mom and dad were at the fight. You were at that fight. Uh-huh. Did you have fun that weekend? Mm-hmm. It was let great, go, right? There's a phone connected to oh, that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is that your phone, Rob? Yeah. Oh. That's my phone. My mom's breaking things. Mom, Come on, Mom. My phone to your room? Anyway, the feds pay Rick. The Rick ends up, Rick ends up getting... Not only is he an informant, he starts becoming a drug dealer. Now he's, a dr- now he's selling drugs in the game. So not only is he, is he talking, he's moving weight. So Rick is moving kilos of cocaine every week, and he's in. Good night, Ma. Good night. Good night, Ma. You need help? You good? Yeah. Long strides. Long strides. Long strides. Tell everybody on the thing. I'm not, but just long strides. Long strides. There you go. Anybody. Anyway, so Rick ends up dealing drugs, gets caught up in the game, falls in love with the life, the money, the cars, the women, the whole thing, ends up getting busted with eight kilos of cocaine when he was 17 years old. He got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole under the Michigan 650 Lifer Law, which was a ridiculous law that said if you got caught with 650 grams or more of cocaine, you were getting life without the without possibility of parole. He did 30 years, and I basically, just to be real, I mean, I basically set the wheels in motion to get him paroled out of Michigan. Yeah. And we started, you know, a friendship. And we start talking all the time. And now they want me to write his book. He wants me to write his book. And so he and I have been talking a lot. And uh, I went down this road with the company that wanted to do the book. And they were forcing me before the contract was done to turn in pages, turn in you know, word count, this and that. And it was a disaster because I couldn't function under the pressure. And also, I didn't click with the editor. And the editor was just bumming me out and the editor was just talking to me like he'd send me an email that says I expect 10,000 words by Friday. Meanwhile, hadn't had hadn't been paid, 
contract wasn't done. And my brother, my mom, all my people were like, don't write a single word. But of course, I was a bitch and I wrote a bunch of words. But the good news is we got out of that deal and now we're going to do it the right way. And I've already got seven chapters that were already done. And with a little tweaking, they'll be in great shape. And I'm going to go get a proper deal, talk to a real company Mm -hmm. with real people and do it the right way. And I'm probably going to go talk to the people that I did the Rappaport book with, which makes total sense. So anyway, it's a ton of work. I mean a ton of work. It's a lot of work. Isn't it funny that you're actually coming back to do work with the people that you like doing business with? Yeah. Like who? The Rappaport book. I am Rappaport. Oh, I thought you meant coming back to Detroit. Well, no, no. I mean, but the, I mean, yeah, this I'm, cathartic moment here in Detroit and a lot of the, the, the real people, the, all the real people that told you what the deal was are here yeah, in Detroit. Everybody here, my family, everyone's telling me don't write a word, don't write a word. But I'm, I was so conditioned as a writer bitch to write that I kept writing and turning in words. And it was a terrible situation. But yes, it's ironic that I'm coming all the way back around. Rappaport gave me the agent or the, uh, the editor over at Simon & Schuster. Yeah. And now we're in full talks and we're going to knock on knock wood. Everything goes smooth. There's always an X factor when you have somebody that's in jail. There's just an X factor. Yeah, but you also have support from a company that you have an experience with that you had a wonderful experience with. Yeah. So you've built a re- you have a foundation for a relationship that you can build on. When you have when you have n- nothing from nobody, and people are expecting things from you, it's like building castles in the sand with the tide coming up. Tide was all over me. I got I got yeah. tided out. Yeah, yeah. I was it t- wasn't tidy at all. And, you know? yeah. So anyway, you, you anyway, I'm anyway, back in action. You're back in action. You feel good about it. You feel the direction that it's going. And um, you know, some people win, some people lose. And you're gonna, at the end of the day, uh, you learned a lot from it. And if you can take anything away from the failure of that first company, is gonna it, that's gonna evolve into the success with the next company, which should have, at the end of the day, now that you think about it, should have been the first company you should have been working with, anyway. But it wasn't on me. That, I mean, that wasn't on you, but no, it's on you. Yeah, totally. But now you're the boss and you're in control of your destiny. So you had to have failure to have success. I had a couple hard hits in the last month. Like that, when that, ha- when that happened, that bummed me out. Yeah, of course it That because, bummed me out. Yeah, because you were down on yourself and you were also down on uh, people. All the work. All the work that you put in, but you were down on the, on the faith that you had in this company. They were going to do the right thing because when I talked to you, I kept saying, you know, what, what the fuck are you doing? You know, don't do that. You know, you don't have to, why are you putting so much energy into something you don't even have, you're, you don't even have a deal done. And these guys are expecting all this hard work from you, uh, yet you still, you know, had faith that they were going to do the right thing. And you said it several times. Well, you know, I'm just going to do it because it's going to fall into place. It's going to fall into place. Eh, it didn't fall into place. At all. Yeah. Fell out of place. It fell way out of place. And at the end of the day, you, you, you went, you know. I was a sucker. Yeah, but your your switch also flipped to like being hardcore and whatnot, which you know you burn you, you burn that bridge. Maybe it was, you could have been you could have smoothed out of it a little bit more. But you know what though? That's who you are. That's okay. You're you're scrappy and you're you're tough and you're a fighter, and that's who you are. People that know you, and if this and if this company really knew you, they never would have messed with you like that. They never would have treated you or spoke to you like that. So they you really had no relationship going in. Now you're going into a relationship with with another company that you have a history with that knows you, knows your personality. So if it does get contentious or it gets a little pressure and you come back at them and say, yo, you need to lay off, they'll understand why. 
Absolutely. So that's a lot of brain work that's going to be, that's been going on. And so I'm actually, I'm getting the overview together right now, which I was telling you today is it's harder to write an overview summary of what a book is than the actual book, because you got to figure out what do you want to include in this two, three page overview that you think is so important. So I'm laying it out. I was working on the plane and I'll have, I'll have it done in a few days. Yeah, I have a question. When you do this, can you do it live? Like what? like what we're talking, are we talking and it's recording, then you download it? I record this, I send it to LA to my guy and he puts it up on our site. So it can go up tonight or tomorrow. When you do a video. But, I, but sometimes it's live in LA, it's live. Because there's cameras, right? Yeah, there's cameras and it's a live feed. But it, but you also don't have to do it live. You you know it doesn't matter if it's live if or not. You put it on like FaceTime or your camera where we're talking into something where there's a video, and if you just set your your phone up against like the thing on the middle of mom's table, and it, and we just sat here like we were talking to each other. Yeah. Could that be a live stream, or no? No, that could not be a live stream. Could you video a tech- us talking? Yeah. And then send it in. They yeah. Edit it and pop it up. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, do, you want to be on video? Well, no, I just think it would be interesting because the way we talk and the way we sit and our mannerisms, I think, is very interesting. We're doing the exact same thing. We're both crossing our legs and itching our ankles. <laughs> Mom's in bed. Mom's hopefully going to bed. She's been exhausted. That's why she was, you know, yeah, acting tired. tired you got to chill out. Why? With your harshness. You're, you're very harsh. At the dinner table, you were harsh. You know what I mean? But it's because you're here all the time. So just shake it off. Take a long walk. Don't be harsh. You know what I mean? Just let it. Just relax. I, was, I haven't been home in two months. Mom actually is looking a lot better than when, she was, when I left. Right. She wasn't on a cane full time. Yeah, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm actually, I'm actually tired to some degree. From a lot of like this past year. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 you know, being here and being around mom and, and it it doesn't exhaust me being around, being around here at all. It just, it's, it's emotional. Well, it's like, you know, maybe if I didn't, maybe if I, you know, didn't do what I do all day long, which is, you know, trying to help people or trying to, you know, create positive things every day, all day. Out of negative situations. Out of negative situations, exactly. That maybe, you know, maybe, you know, it would be different because all I want is betterment on every level. Right. And so I think sometimes, you know, with that, it's like I want to see progress at all times, positivity at all times, even though I know that it's, it's tough, it's easier said than done. Um, you know, but you know when that's your you know flesh and blood, you 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 know you'll right. you'll right. fight and you'll fight to the to the end for it. So it, yeah, I think it just wears on me a little bit. And you know, it's like watching, uh, it's like being around your kid. You know, like you never see him grow up, but it's the people that aren't around him that often that are like, oh my god, look how tall you got. Oh my god, you're so your voice has changed. Oh my god, you know. But when you're around something, you don't see all the changes. Like you came in immediately and you said, I see, I see progress. I see progress, you know? And for me, you know, yeah, it's I think, I, it's exactly I, 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 I think I, no, you're right. I think I see it too. I just don't know that I, 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 I necessarily look at it the same with, through the same lens, maybe because I'm tired, maybe because I'm frustrated, maybe because I'm short at the end of the day, 
with uh, you know just my my energy or whatnot. I don't have time to you know put all uh, you know put it all in there. But you know I constantly try to. So sometimes I'm working at a on a with a tank that's that's you know not you know I'm, yeah I'm, you're running on fumes. I'm running on fumes sometimes. Yeah. So chill out. Take a walk. Hit the heavy bag. We got the heavy bag in the garage that isn't going anywhere yet. I'll tell you what's been helping is like when I work out with uh, when I go to Cameron's Hockey in the morning, real early, and I wake up and I get a good workout in at like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. That puts you in a great mood all day. Oh, I'm kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, and so people love that early morning deal. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, damn. I've been working out, you know, a gang load, but uh, you know, when you're tired mentally. Physically, you're not. You shouldn't even be probably working out half the time. Right. You should be resting your body because you're probably doing more harm than good. But for me, you know, I'm so hard nosed that uh, yeah, you're right. Maybe hitting the heavy bag for ten rounds, fifteen rounds would be good. I'm tired. I'm tired right now. Yeah. I'm mentally tired. Writing is mentally tiring. Yeah, you look good. I do, right? You look good. <laughs> I do. I mean, I'm in shape. I'm in crazy shape right now. I'm in as good a shape as I was almost in college when I was balling every day. No? Yeah, I look good. Not when I was boxing. I mean, when I was boxing, I was in ridiculous shape. Yeah, when we were boxing. Yeah, I still think about that video that we have of us boxing. It's got to be. We, we recorded our amateur fight and in the tournament, and nobody could find the VHS tape. Are you sure you didn't loan it to somebody? Like no chance. The last we saw it was at Uncle Jerry. My Uncle Jerry was a professional boxer. We took, over we took it to his house to show off in front of the family. I'll never forget. Everybody was impressed with my brother's win. Nobody talked about me. <laughs> Nobody mentioned my bout at all because I fought a guy that was out of shape looking and he was chubby and I tatted him up and I, I gave him two standing eight counts. But it wasn't that impressive as yours because you knocked your guy out, you stopped him, he was a grown man, you were a 19-year-old kid, 18, <laughs> yeah. 17, Yo, the 18. Best, the best was that dad was there to watch us. Oh, it was amazing. Me and my brother drove to an amateur boxing tournament in college. We were fighting in an airport hangar, like an airplane hangar. It was a military base. But it was like an old hangar. It was, a, it was like a base where they kept the airplanes inside of one of those big metal hangars. An airplane hangar. <laughs> yeah. We fought on a giant military airplane hangar. All Mexican, black kids, and me and Rob were the only two Jews in the building. That's for damn sure. But my dad came to visit that weekend. And it was so funny because my dad was so against it for a minute. Like, he he knew that we were boxing. Yeah. He was bragging he to his friends. Did he come he, in for he, it? He came in for it, yeah. He didn't come in for football. No, but are you sure that he came in just for that? Yeah. I thought he was visiting and we had the tournament that weekend. Who was he? Who's by himself? He always visited by himself. Dev visited by himself a couple times. He would go run. He would go run a ten k with Buddy Scalar and visit by himself. Yeah, no, I understand, but Buddy wasn't there. Dad was there to see us. Right. Anyway, point is, my dad the whole time we're driving, he's just going talking to himself in front of us, going, "Your mother's gonna kill me. Your mother's gonna kill me. This is stupid. Well, I can't believe I'm letting you guys box. I can't believe this is." We did that shit on our own like, too. Yeah. We fucking yeah. Bald. Yeah. Manned up for that shit. It was huge. We trained our asses off too. Big time. And then by the time the fight, the first bell rang, all you could hear is my dad going, "Kill him! <laughs> Rip his head off! Get him! Kill him!" He just wanted us to win. And we both won. We it was great. Won. And I, Dad was I had, proud. I had the second to last fight, and Mike had the headlining fight. <coughs> I did have the headlining fight. It's funny because when you go in the amateurs, they match you, you know, they match you up. 
your manager, whoever's like repping you, they go in there and they pick your fight, your opponent. They talk it out. This guy's had no fights, one mm-hmm. fight, a lot of fights, whatever. This good looks like a good matchup. I was 178 pounds, so I could potentially fight a light heavyweight or a heavyweight. The first guy they had me matched with literally was built like Tony Tucker. Like literally was built like an Adonis. Like, and I remember he, I saw him. He had a jerry curl. Like literally, he was six four. He was chiseled. I was terrified. Somehow I got out of that. I didn't even. I didn't make the bout. Somehow they switched it up last minute, and I ended up fighting just a chubby Mike Tyson. Yep. But nothing like Mike Tyson. Just chubby. He hit hard. He caught me a couple times. His shots hurt. Yeah. But he had no skills like that. His skills were not. I mean, I, I whooped him. I whooped him. But it was fun. I remember my guy, I didn't even hear the bell at the end. I was still fighting at the end. Like at the end of the uh, first round, I remember I was still swinging on him. Oh, I remember. Do you remember me still Of course. Around? The bell rang for the first round. My brother kept attacking the guy. It looked like something out of a, uh, like a Riddick Bow Holyfield fight. Everybody jumped in the ring. They had to wrestle you back to the corner. You just didn't stop. You, just didn't, yeah. you, know, you had no discipline for that. You weren't going to stop. You wanted to kill the guy. And then you caught him with a devastating right hook that shook his spine from the top of his neck to the bottom of his feet. Yeah. And he looked like he folded up like a stick figure. Yeah. And they gave him a standing eight. And then you stopped him in the, in the last round. Yeah. Uh, you pummeled him. Yeah. The guy had tattoos from his ears all the way down through the middle of his chest. Full-blown gangster. Yeah. Had, like, family there. His kids were yelling in the front row. Yeah, they, were t- they were mad. So, remember, the, the best fight I, I think I ever had, though, in college was, was that guy. The kid who you knocked his tooth out? Yeah, the guy. Yeah. Who was that guy? He was like, I don't know if he played on the football team. He just came in. Maybe he was like a big meathead. He's like, he like, I'll spar with you. And I, and I was nervous and I, for you. And I was just hitting the bag. I was just working out. And I'm like, I could see the guy was sort of an asshole. And he just needed his. He just needed a lesson to be taught. Giant, muscular, meathead, baby Lou Ferrigno walks into the gym that we're training at. Somehow, for some reason, picks out my brother, who's just hitting that hip bag. You're playing college football. You're in shape, but you know you don't look like a meathead, and, you, and you're not big like that. You, you just were never like that. But he was like, "I'll spar you. I don't need a mouthpiece." Right. Put on headgear either. You didn't either. You you ended up not wearing headgear. But I had a mouthpiece in. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't gonna get hit by that fool. Yo, my brother landed a hammerhawk jab. His tooth just fell out of his mouth. <laughs> yep. His front tooth fell out of his mouth, and you whooped the shit out of him. Yeah. I and he tattered was tattered him. Tattered him. His face. He tried his best, and you just you just came straight forward. Bang, bang, bang. It was amazing. That was the best boxing match I ever put on. Because you know what? I had been sparring with uh, Mike and Cedric and you. Yeah. And you guys were always much faster than I was. And so to fight a guy that was bigger than me, that was slower than me, was like a pleasure. Oh, yeah. So for me, it was like, I mean, it was it was easy pickings. You know what I mean? That guy had no chance. But he was, he was, he was swinging for the fences. He, he thought he was going to come in and let some aggression out. I deflated that motherfucker. He left with a red face and no tooth. Yeah, he did. It was, I think his, half his tooth fell out. Yeah. It was like a perfect chip. I remember you had to pick it up on the ground. It was unbelievable. We had a great time in college, man. Being that it's my birthday this weekend, I'd like to, maybe we should do something like all my boys' birthdays are coming up. 
You want to do like uh, you want to get some of the fellas to just the we fellas? should do something. Go to like Nashville. Go to Vegas. Yeah, we're gonna Vegas do like is this the weekend. No, like but like in a couple of weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. I I, prefer, I mean I think Nashville would be would be great because Nashville is close by. I could either drive there or fly there. I also have work there, so I could almost justify going there and, and actually work for a day, and then you know spend the weekend with everybody. But I would go there. Um, the hotels are great. Everything's walking distance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you know the hotels there. You perform there, and I work there. So I love I love Nashville. There. And it's so convenient to an airport. I mean, downtown's <laughs> ten minutes. Plus the music. It'd just be fun just to go listen to a gang load of music. Maybe I'll start drinking by then. Maybe you won't. Maybe I will. But maybe you won't. Maybe you will. But maybe you oh, won't. I am definitely going to be drinking soon. What does your liver say? Have you had a talk with your liver lately? Bro, I feel so good. It upsets me. I'm upset at how good I feel. I don't like how great well, I feel. The funny thing is, is you were never ever a drinker in college. You like you were the guy that a you. Ne- I don't remember ever seeing you really drink a beer, and and you never really knew what to drink. You could never order like a screwdriver or a Bloody Mary or a tequila sunrise or a, even Jack and Coke. I mean, you weren't even like a guy that would like know what to order. No, alcohol was never my thing. No, it was always it was always the buds. And that was fine because that was just, and you never abused that either. It's just like, you just were never. That was my thing though. The buds were my thing. The buds were your thing. For creativity, for working out, for right. fun. Yeah. The buds were always, the, right, the buds but, were my thing. Right, but alcohol was never your thing. So it's, 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 the irony is that you, that is that that's what, you know, has given you, you know, some issues in your life physically. A couple times. Yeah, and, nothing major. It's no, not no, that major. Also you, it's also your bitch mentality. You got scared straight a couple times, twice, and, you, and you've been in some situations that you put yourself in that you. I think you, you probably shocked yourself back into reality that you've, you know, lived on the edge a little bit, and some shit has happened to you that maybe alcohol was involved in during those times. Yeah, and it wasn't just necessarily you know times where there was you know people that you didn't you know. You know, that you didn't want to be around, but it was also, you know, being around. Listen, let's be honest. I mean, I think we all probably had a, a, a pop and drove the car, but I think sometimes you get, you know, you've put yourself in situations, especially in LA when you're alone. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't, there's no place I feel safer in the world than when I'm with you. No place. No, literally, no, there's nothing, no matter what I'm doing, who, who, we're with as long as I'm with you, I feel the safest I could possibly ever feel. And I know that when you're out in LA, you got your boys with you and you do have some family out there, but they're not with you when you're out at three o'clock in the morning with the fellas. Right. And I think, you know, you've put yourself in a couple of positions where you didn't have that support system around you where you felt so super safe. Absolutely true. I've felt in danger. In I- danger. And I've been in danger. You've been in some serious danger. And it wasn't until I came out there that you felt safe again. You know? But you know what the funny thing is about older brother, younger brother things? You're, you're tougher than me. You're stronger. You're one of the toughest people that I know. I'm the older brother. So... When I when shit goes down and I've had the serious real shit go down, yeah. you know what I mean? Organized crime, heavy shit happen. I don't want you around. I don't want you in danger. Like I don't want you. I have the mentality of like, you stay safe. 
I'll be okay. Like that's actually what I how I think. Even though I should feel I feel safe with you because I know no one's messing. You know, I'm all we're all good like that. But in my mind, I'm like, yo, I don't want my brother. I don't want anything happening to my brother. I don't want you in danger. I'd rather have someone that I put on payroll. You know what I mean? Like someone that's getting money to worry about protecting. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's big brother and little brother. That's what I'm saying. I don't like you in day in any kind of you. I don't want you to have to be making me feel safe. Right. I don't want you to it's be in a situation where you out there protecting you. Or no, no, being, that, but that's it's, all. It's about there being by your side to make sure that if anything does go down, I'm with you, and, and we are double. We we forge a better attack against the world together than separately. Right. Exactly. And, and I understand your mentality. Like you don't want me out there to be. I don't want you to get hurt. Because I do remember, you know, when we were, when I did come out there, you know, I remember the situation was heavy. The gravity of it all was real heavy. And, you know, at that moment in the heat of things, we had some serious decisions to make as young men without the guidance of dad around. But to think about what we were going to do and, and, and have, you know, control over that. And were we going to have control over that at the moment? And then... We're going to have control over that for the rest of our lives. That's some heavy shit. Heavy, heavy. Yeah, and you know all the stuff that like you know went down, you know in in the world when we were younger with, you know after dad you know passed away and me coming home from school and and you coming home for a little bit and and all the things that went down just in the world that I was in. Scrap metal. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know, for people who don't know, because not everyone listens to every single podcast, but I got into a situation in L.A. that I shouldn't have got into. There was a little bit of organized crime situation. I was in danger. I took a beating. Basically, it ended up very heavy. My brother had to fly out. People were called on all sides of the coin. There were people put on notice from in New York, in Detroit. I called in all my markers. It was going to go. One way or the other, things were going to get heavy and bad, or they were going to go get squashed and be peaceful. And somehow we were able to squash it, but without getting too detailed about what happened, you know, there was no peace. There was it wasn't peace. Not not only peaceful, it was. There was no peace, but it got put in. It got put in its place. It got put in its place properly, thankfully that it did. And we we chose. We had we had two decisions to make. One decision that was going to, you know, something that was going to be a a burden on us potentially that you wouldn't be able to forget or let it go a different direction where you could actually, you know, not have that, 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 you know, weight on your shoulders. And that was a reality at a very young age. And for some reason, we knew how to handle it because I remember you and I had a little bit different of opinion on how it should go down. If we were confronted with that decision, and I remember really, that's when Big Brother took over, and you said, "No, it'll it'll ruin too many lives." You, you said something to that effect, and then we went into the meeting. We went into that meeting with the old man, with the with the old man and the and the other guys that were there. Oh, you're talking about the meeting back here? No, 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 the meeting there in the condo. Yeah, and we had to have that meeting where. Where I came, that's when I, you know, when I, when we, you and I had to talk about it before we even got into the place because there was, they were going to put it to us to like let us decide, you know, kind of the fate of 
how the situation else. was going to play out of somebody else. When you have that kind of, you know, that that weight on your shoulders. The bottom line is we could have gone the heavy gangster route, we and we didn't. We didn't. Well, we, well, no, no, I think we actually... Well, we went the gangster. We, did, we went the route we had to go, but we didn't have to go all out. And a lot of people we know would have gone all out. Because they would have been... And they would have been ready to go all out. And I had people that wanted to go all out just for me. Bro, you would not be writing movies and doing stand-up, and we wouldn't be having this conversation... If it went the other if way. If it went the other way. And I wouldn't have had a career, and I wouldn't have had, you know, I wouldn't... There, you and I wouldn't be looking forward to anything at this point because it's, you know that stuff doesn't go away. We let it. We let. We let. We let certain things pass and we let certain things go that benefited the lives of a lot of people. Yeah. And we and we and we and we are able to. Uh, it's so crazy. Our lives because it's, of that. Totally, and it's so crazy because controlled that situation, and that and the, and the people that were involved in that on the other side, they they'll buy us a drink all over the world today because of it. Yeah, yeah, it got so it got so heavy. It's why I wrote the other movie. I mean, the movie that we're gonna make, uh-huh. it was the inspiration behind it. Yeah. You know, right? I had to get it off my chest because tell people the name of the of, of the working title right now. The working title is called I Killed. And it's the story of a comedian because you know, that's a phrase comics use. Yo, I, I just killed out there. Yeah. But it's the story of a comedian who finds himself in the underworld. And he, find, and he finds himself in the world of organized crime after a night goes bad. Mm-hmm. And decisions have to be made. And he gets an opportunity for his career to shine. And what does he do with the opportunity? Does he take it or does he go the gangster route? And I had to write the movie because I had to get that shit off my chest. Because I don't... It's funny, man, because as much edge as we grew up with, and we grew up around some gangsters. Dad had friends that were, you know, we didn't find out later in life to what, what they did, but dad was a street guy, straight up. Dad was comfortable in that with those guys. You know what I mean? He, he told us never to do business with them, certain types of people stay away from, but dad, we got the street shit from dad all day. And if dad was alive, that whole situation would have been different. It would have just been different. Yeah. I'd be in the scrap metal business with, pro- with you, and we'd have a little mini empire, and we would have never spoken to any of those people over there. Yeah. And people, it would have been a bad, it would have been bad for bad, every, bad a, lot for a lot of people. But I had to write the movie to get it off my chest because it affects me to this day. It just yeah. did. Yeah. This, I got beat up bad. I got, you know, I mean, straight up, you know, I got led into a dungeon, nine millimeter pistols, straight gangsters, six foot five monsters. They put me down and they did what they had to do. And they got me, you know, they, they put me, they, they got me bad. I was in the hospital for a little bit, whatever. I'm just letting my, the people who listen to the podcast know I'm not bitch made. You know what I mean? I've been through the shit that I'm talking about. I'm not like, yeah. and I'm not proud or bragging about it. Just as it relates to the story, I don't want you to be listening to the story going, what the hell is he talking about? I'm talking about, I fucked up somebody bad one night. He turned out to be a connected guy. I didn't know who he was. He couldn't let it go. He had to do what he had to do. He did what he had to do. He didn't know I was connected. And all of a sudden, there was a mini war happening in a certain city. 
<clears throat> and people were getting called and phone calls were being made. Money was getting put on the table. Offers were being made. It let me know a couple things. It just let me know people had a lot of love for me. Even bad guys that I knew. I know dude, one of my boys who's in jail right now for, you know, he got put away for 12 years. I don't want to say his name, but he's because he gets out soon, whatever. But when it happened, he was like, yo, Mike, please let me go in. Let Please. And it's just like when you got dogs that love you, that are willing to go to war for you, that's just their thing. Mm-hmm. That's just how they are. But I called yeah. off all the dogs. You did. And, you, and I fucking, and I straight up threw my hands up yo, to multiple people because we had the meeting in Detroit too. Yeah. We came back for a meeting here yeah. with four 70-year-old men. Yeah. And then the reality is, is if you hadn't let it go, you had the power and you let it go on behalf, you know, to, show, to be the bigger man. And that was... That was the biggest move you could have done. That was the best move you could have done. It's crazy because after I let it go and I started healing up, all these positive things started happening to me. Yeah, exactly. Me and Toby sold the TV show right away. But the one thing that you know, the one thing that you had to do was to you therapeutically work through this story. You had to work through the movie. You had to work through it. Totally. And then that was that 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 is your 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 uh, opus. You know, that is really, you know, that is really a deep-rooted story. So it's funny when people read it, they love, they instantly love it because I think everybody... They've never seen anything like it. They, they, well, they never seen anything like it, but they, you know, it's like, it's, it's like they, everybody's been through <laughs> adversity and had to face something and had to overcome it. Or It's relatable on a lot of different levels. It, just even reading in that genre, that the way you wrote it. Yeah, because you wrote it, you know, it is it is you know gangster esque, but it's also there's some levity with with the comedy and then things that go through it. Everybody can relate to it, you know, in, in that sense of of you know it touches people's lives because everybody's lives been touched through adversity and having to make a decision: do you take the road less traveled? Do you make a a, a hasty decision? The decisions that you make have certain outcomes and change the course of your life. So everybody in their own way can relate to that story, whether they're looking at it through the same prism as you are or not. They're, li- they're watching the same story, but yeah. what's coming back at them is reflective of their own lives and their own adversities. And right. Challenges. The comedy is just a metaphor for whatever anybody else is going through. Or, or not, not a metaphor, but like it's... It's just whatever. It's just it's the canvas. Sure, the you know people have been in business. Like, yeah, yeah. You don't have to be. You don't have to be in that situation. Yo, do you remember when we had the meeting in in Detroit? We went to see Uncle Itzy at the golf club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had to wear business like black pants and yeah, stuff. We yeah. went and sat with those guys. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, red run. Yeah, yeah. we sat with like four yeah. older men in their seventies, and I remember exactly what they said. They said, you know. That guy had to do what he had to do because he had to save face because of the world he lives in. And you're going to be okay because it's done. It's done. Right. But if you're feeling paranoid and you're not good and you think it's going to keep going, let us know. We'll make a phone. We'll make a call. Right. right. You can't shake it. I think someone said you can't get over it. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, let's just let it go. And even Uncle Itzy was like, Michael, I think you just got to let this one go. You know? Right. You hurt a guy, you, you, you know what I mean? Right. He had to save face. Mm-hmm. 
but well, it was yeah. a heavy move. It was Listen, heavy. He's he's able to enjoy his family and move on with his life, hopefully. And 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 he and he realizes how lucky he is to have that life. Yeah. Listen, the funny thing is, I don't even have any anger towards him. No, totally. I got anger towards that guy in Florida who sucker punched me. That I, that I got. Yeah, that guy. That's, that's harder for me to let go. That guy, your whole karma takes over, and that guy, you know, gets uh, like a like a like a golf something ball. falls on his, his head. Hail just hits him, you know, and takes out his left eye. But he, yeah, that guy fucked up big time. But that girl that you were with. Remember Uncle yeah. Uncle Itzy again? We went down yeah. and and we met. Another time, I had to fly down immediately. My brothers had to fly. My brothers got more frequent flyer miles defending me in bad situations <laughs> no, than anybody. We got her. crime stories. We got her. In, we got her. Uh, you know, we got him and the whole thing. It was uh, you know either way. I mean, listen, that guy. I think that guy even knows that to this day he's. He's lucky. He's very lucky. He seems lucky because I look at his Facebook every week, and I check out where he lives, and I got his guy Google Earth his house. So yeah, he seems lucky. He thinks. He, I think he feels okay. Yeah. Anyway, yo, we, we've been talking for an hour and a half. Have we? Yeah. Do they edit this? Hour and twenty. No, this is going on for a full hour twenty. Wow. So people can li- listen to this for an hour twenty. Wow, that's great. People will enjoy this. Yeah. So, a great time to listen to Mike's podcast is if you're in your car. And you've got if you and you're driving to Cleveland. Oh, this is a good Detroit Cleveland combo. The funniest thing about my brother is he doesn't know that people already know how to listen to podcasts. It's what they do. People there's a whole world out there listening to podcasts. But like when you start listening to it and you're listening ten minutes to go to work or a half hour in the car and you still have another hour left. All I'm saying is this is not right. This is a good for a road trip. If you're like driving from here to Cleveland, like if you're going to Cleveland, if you're gonna to go to the Cavs game this week. You know, it's a it's a good what two and a half hour drive, yeah. unless you're, you're flying. Talking, you're talking. To, you're talking to just Detroit people though. This this thing goes all over the world. Is it it's available. No, this but the podcast is available everywhere. And you know what's so crazy about podcasts? And my podcast is not a big podcast at all. But like when I went and did shows in Calgary, these five random Calgary dudes ran up and they were like, "Bro, we came to see you. We love you. We heard your podcast." And I'm like, "Are you sure?" You know what I mean? Like, you don't realize a lot of people listen to these things. Yo, I'm wondering, has, oh, who heard, uh, oh, Eddie, Eddie's guys, Eddie, Eddie DeMai. He, he, I was, I saw him a few weeks ago over at uh, One Campus Marshes, and, and one of the guys he was with said, yo, I love the podcast that you and your brother do. Really? Yeah, I swear to God. He's like, I love it. One of the guy, one of the kids that worked at, at Stand Up Live this week was like all over me to the point where I thought something was wrong with him. He's like a huge fan. Yes. It always freaks me out when I see someone like that. I think it's interesting. I, you know, I, I didn't know uh, it goes out to the world. So anybody can get this. Yeah, bro. It's on iTunes, Stitcher. It's on SoundCloud. You just type in Mike Young stories that need to be told. All of them come up. Whoa, what do you type in? Mike Young stories that need to be told. Mike Young, stories that need to be told. Stories that need to be told. Stories are bold. Stories are cold. Stories that never get old. Stories are old. The The wonderful wonderful wizard of Oz. Oz. The stories that go. The stories that flow. The stories that you will never know. I will be on the stage in three days with Tony Rock. Stories that need to be told. 
The stories that need to be told. Oh, All boy. right, so what's going All on? Right. We got Tony That's it. Rock this there. weekend, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, April 25th, 6th, 7th, Mike Young, Tony Rock, Ruben Paul, Punchline, Southfield, Michigan, our old stomping grounds. Boom. All right, after that, I'm going hardcore back into my stand-up. I don't know where I'll be when I get back to L.A., but I'm going to take this week off. Saturday is my birthday. I couldn't be happier to spend it with my family, my brother, my mom, my nephews, yo, whoever yo, I see yo. at home. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, you're circling back around with Tony. The, the fun thing is, and the weight off your shoulders, you got 15, 20 minutes you'll do before Tony goes on. Yeah. Work on all the shit that you've been working on that you're having fun with right now. That's it. That's all I'm doing. Flushing it out. Flush out. You're in a, you're in a comfortable, you know, you're, you're going to be in South, you're in your freaking. You know, it's like element, fucking element, living room, family room, dining room. You know, you're going to be in, in the midst. You're going to be in a very warm, comfortable place. And the people that are going to there are going to show you all the love in the world. Can't wait. Southfield. I'm going to shout out Lathrop. The crowd's going to go bananas. Yep. Uh, all right. Stories that need to be told. Find it on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, all things comedy, all things comedy, all things comedy network. And, uh. That's it. That's my brother Rob. If uh, if any of your buildings or arenas happen to flood, you call Blue Team Restoration. That's who you call Blue Team. Yo, maybe we can put the can we put can we put this on Blue Team's website like a link to your podcast? No, you put Blue Team on my podcast website. Blue Team Restoration. You want to? You're not going to want me on your podcast. You put Blue Team on my thing. You're not going to want my thing on your thing. That's not. I mean, that's just not a good look for your business. Only because you don't want podcasts popping up. No one's gonna know what that is. Yo, can we do a blue team podcast? Yeah, we podcast blue team. We'll do that next time. Like anyway, God bless. I'm I'm wrapping this one up. I'm sending it in. And uh, Rob, I love talking to you. I love, love you. you. Love you. All right. Brother. Be easy on mom. I'll be easy on mom.